welcome back to Pot on You Loons. This is James. Hey, Pot on You Loons. This is Sam. Hey, Pot on You Loons. This is Cameron coming from Seattle. Cameron coming from Seattle. We didn't just play Seattle. We're not about to play Seattle. Cameron wanted to come on specifically to just complain about SKC. Yeah, I think I we're think, here. Uh, for it. Yeah, we're I think the it. Loons and the Sounders fans are are joining up in in our fandom now. I think we've been forever linked together in a in a way that uh, will live on for a long time. For just annoyance towards SKC, right, right, sure, and the refs. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's normal. It's MLS. Yeah, it's because hatred. last time Seattle was in Minnesota, and I was at that game. I, and I was sitting by the Seattle fans and every, everyone was not that I interacted with them much, but I, I told you when you came on the show and I told you, I was like, they brought it. It wasn't necessarily a huge section, but the ones that were there, they brought it. They were, they were a fun crowd. Our supporter section, and I forget what sparked it, but our, our supporter section did start chanting the F word Seattle. Was it the no call on the, um, I can't remember which game it was when there was the no call on the, what should have been a penalty kick. If that was that game or if that was the game in Seattle before that. But either way. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Hey, but. You know, here, here's the thing. And this is uh, as the president of Grill FC, which is one of the four supporter groups in Seattle. We are friends with almost every supporter group in the country during those 90 minutes. You know, we don't need to be friends. We can root for our teams. But, uh, you know, before and after, we're back to being friends. Unless you're an SKC that. supporter group. Unless you're SKC. <laughs> Unless you're SKC. And then <laughs> get out of here. Which is funny. So we're going to complain about SKC a lot today, but I, I don't know. Like I, I've said this many times. I love going down to Kansas City. That's one of my favorite like quick trips from Minneapolis. I, I think it's great. I've, I've always enjoyed it there. I always thought people are nice there, but we're going to hate on them today. We sure are. One serious note, though, before we get going. So second consecutive episode without Justin. Uh, Justin told us that we should, we should let everyone know he is going through a tough time. Um, last episode, he didn't make it on because he had just had a death in the family. And between last episode and this episode, actually another death in the family. I cannot imagine what he's going through right now. Both of these people he was close to both of these people. He cares tremendously and tremendously for, and loves deeply and I, I can't imagine what Justin's going through right now. We love you, buddy. Not sure if you're listening right now, but we we love you. We hope you make it through this as easily as possible. And I, I know it's not gonna be anything that resembles easy, but we miss you, buddy. Yeah, ma'am. We um yeah, we miss you, dude. And uh yeah, good luck, man. It's uh, it's a tough old time, dude. So uh, we're always here for you, man. Yeah, keeping you in my thoughts for sure. Yeah, and just all you out there. I mean, when when these types of things happen, it just it makes you kind of just reflect on, you know, the good things in life. And I, I just thank anyone that's listening right now. Thank you for your listenership and for your friendship. I know that right this relationship you have between a podcast host and, and the listeners, I, I, it can be a little one-sided because we're on here talking to each other. And some of you will reach out on Twitter. Mo most of you don't. Uh, most of you just kind of listen and we're a part of your commute or your run or your household chores or 
you know, whatever you're doing while you're listening to us, we're, we're just a part of that. And I mean, I, I listen to podcasts too. I, I know how it goes, but it, it is a friendship. It, it is a friendship and we thank you for it. We don't take it for granted. And right. That, that was why Justin wanted all you to know. It's a connection we all have. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let, let's move on. Not, not much more to say other than again, Justin, we love you. We want to see you happy again. We know you'll get there eventually. Yeah, man. And we look forward to uh, welcoming you back when you're uh, when you're ready to come hang out and uh, talk some loons with us as well. Yeah, you're and Dunk on XKC. <laughs> you're much better at talking loons than I am. <laughs> come back soon. Cam is just on to hate on SKC. <laughs> just some brief news before we recap the week that was. Ford Madison won their final game of 2021. It was 2-1 to Chattanooga Red Wolves. They finished the season 9th of 11, and they that makes them four points shy of 7th place, which would have qualified them for the playoffs. Hmm. Disappointing season for Ford Madison, who missed the playoffs in two consecutive years. But we're just going to go straight into Wednesday's sad game at Vancouver. We'll go through that one quick because that one was not great. We'll go through that game quick. We'll get to the SKC game that you want to hear about where we're just going to dunk on them for as long as we're recording. Sound good, guys? Sounds good. So Wednesday at Vancouver, obviously it was a a bad game. Not a great game for Minnesota. We lose this one to one. And the one came in the 91st minute where... Adi just happened to get a goal, kind of a weird, ugly goal, but hey, it counts. But two to one, I got to start by saying, man, that was a quiet stadium. Cam, you've been there before, right? Never for a Whitecaps game. I When I went up there, it was when they were rebuilding uh, BC Place. And so I was in the old makeshift stadium and it certainly wasn't quiet then. And I actually sat me and a friend sat just in a random section and the fans were giving it to us, but in the Canadian way, chanting things at us, like we have healthcare, uh, <laughs> which we just bowed down to them because what, what am I going to oh, say yeah. to that? <laughs> uh, but they, they are traditionally pretty rowdy, but I think there's been a lot of um, some scandals and uh, some performance issues of late. Although I will say Losing to Vancouver right now is not, it's not, they're, they're good. Like, I think people take for granted that this same old terrible Vancouver, but I think they only have one loss in their last 16 games, maybe two losses, and everything yeah. else has been a tire a win. So, they, since they fired their coach, they've been consistently getting better and better. So, I don't know. You say it's a sad game, but th- they're a tough opponent right now. Sure. I think it, Sad in the sense that by us losing to them, that caused them to leapfrog us in the standings. Right. Well, I'm that actually that Sunday. pushed us out of the playoff position. We're back in now after defeating SKC, but for those few nights, we we were out. We were on the outside looking in. Yeah, we'll so have to bring it on Sunday for you guys. Then when we play at, I'm going up to the game actually to BC Place, and I'm all fancy. I'm going to be in a suite uh, Ooh. for it. Ooh la la! Uh, so. Uh, we we hopefully will have the Sounders winning that and keeping you in a playoff spot. Well, you, you talk about their their kind of like few loss streak since the eighth of July. 
when they lost 4-0 to Real Salt Lake, they've only lost two games, which was Portland 1-0 and Seattle 4-1. Yeah. And that's it. So they've only lost twice since the start of July, which is a fairly nutty stat. And yet they're still sixth, which kind of shows how bad the start of their season was. So Cam, cheer on. I mean, we're cheering you on, but cheer on your Sounders. But think of us a little bit while you're cheering on your Sounders and enjoying that caviar that you have in the BC place. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they offered us a, to have a, a white caps legend come by. Uh, but as Sounders fans, we don't really care about that unless maybe it's Andy Rose who uh, played for the Sounders many years ago. Why, why are you in the legends? Why, oh, so why are we in a suite? It's because uh, a couple of years ago, we before COVID happened, we had bought a suite to just go up and have a suite and kind of be comfortable at the game. And uh, then COVID happened and it got pushed back. And then we didn't know whether we were going to get a suite this year. So we're actually in a 50-person suite, but with only... Uh, I think there's only 20 of us going. So we have tons of space and we have food credit. So it'll be nice. We'll, we'll get some food and be able to hopefully watch a win and uh, get a, the Cascadia Cup. If the Sounders lose by less than four goals, they'll win the Cascadia Cup. And for your listeners that don't know, so meaning 3-0 loss or better, uh, a tie or a win, the Cascadia Cup is given to the team from between Portland, Vancouver, and Seattle who wins amongst all the games against each other during the season. And it's one of the most coveted trophies amongst the teams. Last year, you guys would have played a lot of games for that cup then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they, I think, I don't know if they held the, didn't hold the cup or if they chose which games to do it. But yeah, uh, I think they didn't hold it last year because of it. Because having to play Portland 10 times in a season is <laughs> whatever it was, was a lot. <laughs> oh, geez. But yeah, our game against Vancouver last Wednesday going in, it felt like a can't lose, especially given that like we had close to an optimal lineup. Chase Gasper was really the only normal starter that wasn't available. Otherwise we were pretty optimal. Chase Gasper, who was out on yellow card accumulation but we lost, and as I said, Vancouver leapfrogged us. And the story of the game was just the ongoing struggle for Minnesota to score goals. First half wasn't even that bad. We, we didn't necessarily play bad in the first half. Chances were happening. Of course, it was late in the first half when we're kind of all you know getting ready to go into halftime. It was a 45th minute Michael Boxall own goal. Just a little miscommunication as... Tyler Miller blocked a shot and Michael Boxall was running back and the ball jumped off of Michael Boxall. 63rd minute was made worse when their striker, Brian White, he scored his 12th goal of the season to make it 2-0. As we said, Addy got one at the end, made it 2-1, but it didn't really feel like 2-1 because that came so close to the end by the time we were all just feeling so, so down. So just feeling like we let something slip. So I guess the question I have for you, James and Cameron, you know, feel free to jump in as well. But how bad are things when Minnesota concedes first? I think I think they're pretty bad. I mean, the the problem that happens is that when you concede first, there's just a kind of fundamental change of mindset that happens. And I think that we spend a lot of time when we're one nil down kind of 
you know, chasing the game and, and pushing forward and really trying to not pl- we're not playing our normal game. We're trying to play the game of we must score a goal to make this level, which then makes us vulnerable at the back that you saw the other week when we conceded, you know, two goals really late after actually we looked you know, fairly good most of the game. And I think, you know, we also have a problem. I think we also have a problem when we go up, like maybe not one nil up, but maybe like two nil up. We also stop playing on our normal game. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems that Minnesota has is that it's too easy for teams to make us not play our normal game. And when we don't play kind of our normal game or what or what looks like our, our normal setup, when we start trying to ping the ball long or we start trying to do all these weird tactics or, or Adrian makes subs early when, when we're losing, you know, all these things, we just, we don't look a good team. But when we, you know, when we have, you know, the front four that are, that are kind of playing this little tiki tack of football and one touch and flowing and Metinez running down the right and popping these balls in. We look fantastic, but we just don't play that game enough. And I think most of that is a consequence of when we concede first uh, or when we're two nil down, we, we stop playing the game that would actually score us goals. And we start trying to play this, this weird desperate game, even if it's only 20 or 30 minutes in. But I think also if we get, one or two nil up generally like two nil up we we also kind of play weirdly the same game and then it look it looks more like that we we struggle to hold on to games than actually commandingly finishing a game when we're two nil that we can make it three nil or four nil like seattle scores four on a seemingly regular basis we we struggle we really struggled to get past two i think we've only hit three twice this season because we just struggle to finish off games and then we look nervous and suddenly we have no possession and we're just being defensively pressed even when we have a lead. Don't so they think, call it 2-0 the most dangerous lead in soccer? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think we we definitely have a problem where we, if we just played our normal game plan and didn't let the score affect us, I think we would win. we would win and we would score much more. And I think every time we go one nil down, we we just fade away from that game plan somewhat. And then it's two nil, and then suddenly we're in a a real hole like we were against Vancouver. Well, I'd be remiss. Thank you for mentioning Seattle scoring a lot. Um, if I didn't mention August fifteenth when we beat Portland six two in Portland, <laughs> but I, I think we see the same thing with the Sounders. Is uh, they often will have a they, they they fall behind early a lot and then come back, or they have a lead and. Um, they'll start to play more defensive and then a mistake will cost them at the end, whether it's giving up a penalty, which seems to have happened a few different times or giving up a stupid goal at the end and a win or a, or a tie will suddenly turn into a tie or a loss because um, just that momentary lack of thinking, but the numbers seem pretty, pretty clear. And the numbers of course, aren't reflecting the get match against SKC, but well, well hold on, because the numbers that that was my research, man. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. James and Justin showed. are usually the stat guys. Yeah, and it's I, I went out and, dude, I had like a spreadsheet. Okay, that's amazing. My inner accountant is proud of you, Sam. 
So who scored first? Since I was at a different game at the time, who scored first against uh, in this last match against SKC? Uh, they oh. did actually, yeah. which is the point that's that right. We're going to come to the later. Eighth, the eighth minute, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Shelton. But this is the point we're going to come to later. But okay, so it doesn't change that first number, Sam. Which give this number now? This is amazing. Well, yeah. So I I want to just kind of say you know kind of just go over this a little bit and. You guys let me know if you are surprised by anything. So after 32 games this season, and we're not counting the SKC game, when we score first, which, as Cam said, against SKC, we did not. So this number doesn't change at all. (laughs) But of the 13 games where we scored first, 10 of them resulted in a win. So 77%. Two of them resulted in a loss both, of course, against Colorado, both, of course, causing just Minnesota United Twizzer to go into a Heath out frenzy. So that is 15%. And one of those 13 resulted in a draw. But 10 out of 13 resulted in a win. So I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I was a little bit surprised about that because I think a narrative has kind of developed saying that Minnesota can't hold on to a lead, but 10 out of 13, so a 77% chance that if Minnesota United scores first, they're going to come away with the victory. That's pretty good. I I mean, obviously the two games against Colorado really stung, and we still have a lingering just open wound from the Western Conference final last year against Cameron's team. Yeah, that adds. Yeah, I think that that has probably set the the stage for it moving forward for you all to feel that way. I mean, I get it. We have the same type of. Uh, I don't like penalty kicks still because of uh, the ref making sure that SKC won that uh, U.S. Open Cup and cheated us out of our fourth trophy. Man, imagine having so many trophies in your trophy cabinet. <laughs> feel like with Spurs. Uh, but I but think not- I think it's important to know that Colorado is a team that does come from behind and doesn't frequently. So yeah. so they they having those two losses is not a bad thing because they're I mean when they show up which lately they haven't been necessarily they're good. And I mean so those two games that we lost to Colorado we were 1-0 up and we were 2-0 up and all those goals we scored in the first half and then we lost 3-1 and 3-2. And all of those goals came after the 57th minute. So well, and one of them, one of those games, they were down to 10 men and still scored. <laughs> yeah. Still scored. You know what you say, it, it creates more space for them to move the ball around and your players have to run a little harder. Yep. But yeah, yeah, no, it, that, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to argue that those weren't completely ugly games, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just saying like, maybe we, m- maybe we place too much emphasis on those two games plus the Western conference final last year and not enough emphasis on the 77% of the games that we win when we score first. Now, when we concede first, we have an 11% win percentage of the 19 games where we have conceded first. And again, this does not, this does not include the SKC game because we're, we're getting to the SKC game. We're setting up the SKC game, and then we're just going to dunk on SKC for the rest of the episode. But prior to the SKC game, only two of 19 games where we conceded first 
resulted in a Minnesota United win. Nine of the 19 games resulted in a loss. So 47%, almost half, resulted in a loss. Eight of them, of course, then result in a draw. So 42% resulted in a draw, 47% resulted in a loss, and only 11 resulted in a win. So scoring first for Minnesota United this season, absolutely crucial. It's a really interesting fact. And I think that I think we probably underestimate how resilient our team is to come away with draws when we concede first, because it looks like that we are losing. It feels like we're losing much more when we concede first, when actually we, we draw a lot. And I would hazard a guess that most of those draws are because we score in the 80th plus minute where we we kind of like float a ball in and then we score right at the death. I think there was a 94th minute by Hassani and a 92nd by Robin Lord at some point. And there's, no, there's quite a few games where we kind of escape with a draw at the death. But I think what would be really interesting as well to go back to the, to add to the spreadsheet to give it another dimension would be what percentage of these games are home and away? Because we talked about, you know, last season and preseason before this one, the MLS, how bad MLS teams are generally at playing away from home. So it would be interesting to kind of delve into this even more later and work out, well, actually, how many times do we score first at home and how many times do we concede first at home and and also work that out. I think it's positive that we draw a lot but it's bad that we concede first in so many games. It's basically a two to one. So first of all, in that spreadsheet I made, I did indicate if it was a home or an away. So I I didn't crunch the numbers, but it's in spreadsheet form. So James and Justin with your Excels and your calculators, you you can compute that, okay? I'll send that to you and you can do whatever you want with that data. But what I, what I also thought was interesting is of our 12 wins, and, and again, this is leading into SKC. We're building up to SKC. We're not there yet. But of our 12 wins, nine of those 12 wins were on clean sheets. So 75% of our wins this year on clean sheets. Two of our nine draws have come on clean sheets. So zero, zero wins. That means that 29 of our 45 points pre-SKC or 64% of our points came on clean sheets. I mean, if that's not the story of the season, that like just Minnesota United secret to winning is just not letting the other team score. Because <laughs> anyone that's been watching this team knows that we're not doing a lot of scoring. Yep. <laughs> no, we are not. I don't know, Cam. Do you relate to this at all? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I haven't crunched the numbers just, but looking looking briefly over the games this season, and you know, we have we do have some clean sheets, but there's a long streak without them because we were playing with a backup goalie for over half the season, maybe longer. I mean, luckily, we have Stefan Fry back in Seattle, but there's something to be said about home versus away form, um, and I think you're dead on. Where MLS is notoriously bad on the road for some reason this year. It's been the opposite for the Sounders, where we, in the beginning of the season, and then it got good for a while, but now at the end of the season are dropping points at home. 
but have continued to play well on the road, except for at uh, LAFC this last game, which thankfully I was at a NHL hockey game. So I did not have to endure getting blown out by LAFC, but yeah, I mean, here's the thing I think that I've always felt about Minnesota when I watch the games is the loons are scrappers. And I know Ozzy isn't playing all the time now, but I think his mentality is still in that team where you're going to push forward and try and score and you're going to do your best to play strong defense. And maybe what's happening when you're conceding first is then you're pushing forward more and then that's leaving the defense a little suspect. Not enough people back to to defend. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what, what the rest of the numbers are for the rest of the league as well along these lines. But, you know, you all have such, um, I feel like, technical, talented players that when suddenly the team's getting stretched, maybe it's just a lot harder to to defend, uh, especially against some of the the really fast forwards in the MLS, some of those, um, you know, the Rui Diaz types or the Chicharitos and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you, not that I want to advise this to any Loons fans, but if you go back and watch that Colorado game where they get a red card and then score three goals, we we looked slow at the back. When they break, when they were breaking, they were breaking really quickly. And we were kind of just left flat-footed and poor old Tyler Miller's just, you know, out there buying him, by himself. I mean, Tyler Miller has played exceptional this year. That's the thing is he's he's a great goalie. And I think what bit him when he was in L.A. was that their defense was just terrible. I mean, we saw him step up in Seattle when he was with us as a backup and and have some really big games. I mean, he, we basically saw him as Fry Jr. So, I'd, I mean, obviously, I'm sure he makes some boneheaded plays, but I would think that y'all are pretty solid with him back there. But – you can only do so much when your defense uh, is making mistakes. And the crazy thing is, is that in the offseason, we were like, oh my God, is, that, is there a goalie dilemma? Like we have DSC, we have Tyler Miller. Who's going who's gonna to play goalie? Well, it's clearly Tyler Miller now. But yeah, it was, uh, that was a bit wild. But anyway, should we get on to dunking on SKC? Yeah, let's dunk on SKC. Because so every everything we just said, right, those those points we just made regarding just how much more likely Minnesota United is to win when they score first, how much more likely Minnesota United is to lose when they concede first. And and then just the key to the clean sheet because Minnesota United doesn't score a lot of goals. So they better not let in any. Well, SKC, you kind of, you throw that out the window because SKC scores within the eighth minute and leading up to the game, just minutes before the game started was when I went through all those stats. I was like, you know, we do a lot better when we don't concede first, which isn't, isn't rocket science. I'm not trying to say that it is. And I, I look at those numbers and then eight minutes in, we concede a goal to SKC guys. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I thought that, that I thought it was over. I thought You're it was right over. Hang the playoff boots on the, on the wall. Right. Just because it's not, common it's not common for us to concede first and get a victory in this game we didn't just need a result we needed a win we were on the outside looking in our final game is at la galaxy which won't be easy 
We needed three points. I, I'm sorry. I just thought it was over. I really thought it was over. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Franco answers in the 20th minute. And Reynoso earns a PK and converts it in the 39th minute. And this was the the crazy stat that I was that I was looking at. This was the first penalty we had converted all season. And when they said it, I was thinking, that's crazy. But when I looked back, it's actually only the second penalty we've had yeah. in 33 games. And the only other person to take one was Ramon Abila, who missed. Well, he got the rebound. He got the rebounds, so the scored, but that was the only other penalty we've had in the entire season. And we've had six penalties against us, of which four have been scored, and we have had two. Well, it, yeah, that's crazy. We've only had two penalties. We have been like unjustly uh, had penalties awarded against us twice, right? We've had two complete BS penalty calls against us, but only only have gotten two calls in our favor ourselves. So, yeah, what? Sporting Kansas City have six. It's a scam. <laughs> that's what it is. It's an absolute scam. I mean, but can you think of too many times where you're just like, what? Ref, you blind? Like, can you think of too many times? I, I can't think of too many times where I'm like, that's that's a penalty. I, I think there was at least one or two. But yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I can't think of too many. I think at the time we, we talked about it in the pod where we're like, oh, my God, how is that not a penalty? But I, I couldn't believe that we'd only got one before before the game. Yeah, that was crazy the one and then we seattle pulled down uh robin in the box uh that you all thought was a penalty that was one for sure i think i was here we talked about that in the podcast yeah Yeah. and then uh renoso just ice cold penenkas him oh that was that was super dirty (laughs) let me tell you that was so pleasurable to me because it was uh, tim melia Melia. yeah you want to know why I absolutely love that and just the, the cheeky nature of it and just watching the goalie to stand there was after he body slammed Christian Roldan of the Sounders uh, a few weeks, or just a week before, eight days before, uh, and, and faced very little punishment for it, including not even getting a red card during the game in a move that the Rock called his rock bottom body slam on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, and then for, for some reason, the league didn't find fit. I mean, the refs didn't give him a red card. Just watching him sit there and, and have to watch that ball go by him was so glorious. I just, I loved it so much. So thank you. Thank you for bringing me joy. Matt, d- don't worry. I also felt joy considering that earlier in the year when we had a nil old draw with them in like August when they got a red card in like the 20th minute. And it was a nil all draw and he had seven saves, which was like the best, which was the best game of his season. And we had an expected goals of 2.7. So it felt good to just penenka that man and finally get one past him. Yeah, he did him dirty. But Franco with uh, goal number, goal number five. Yeah. Five goals, nine assists by Franco this season. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely amazing pickup. Yeah, not even a full season. Nope. He has played 18 games. Excellent pickup, especially when you look at 
how low his salary is compared to people producing at such a, a, a lower rate compared to him. Hey, 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 Hanu has six goals, all right? That's at least one. Oh, that wasn't a shot at Hanu. I'm just saying that. That's Franco's like two million, underpaid. that goal. That goal's worth like 2.5 million or whatever. Hey, Sam and I know as Chelsea supporters what it means to have an overpaid player have, have a beautiful goal when uh, Torres finally made the goal in the Champions League. Uh, the $50 million man who got one meaningful goal. I mean, he had other goals, but there was one meaningful goal. I remember. I remember that uh, that Torres life. I remember I, just laughing that it cost 50 mil. I, I mean, oh, hold on. And not, not to get sidetracked, because I'm going to have to go get my daughter from daycare. But Torres, $50 million, you know, big, big game in the Champions League that help, helps us win a Champions League. The following year, he was very big in the Europa League campaign mm, yeah. that led to a Europa League win, which, right, that, that's a major trophy. I get that it's not the Champions League, but that's still a major trophy. One of the few times you have anyone holding both cups at the same time. Granted, it was only for two days, but yeah. they did, Chelsea did hold both cups for two days. Still counts. Yeah. yeah. I'm counting it. And, and by paying that $50 million, that meant that he couldn't just score a bunch of goals against us while playing for Liverpool. That's true. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Not wrong. Now, now speaking of um, bad guys like Liverpool, let's go back to SKC here. Yeah, let, let's go back <laughs> to SKC. I want to know, like, Sounders fans are re- still really mad about the body slam, uh, and it didn't help that the next game that Melia was out, when they scored a goal, SKC did a wrestling move like they did a clothesline wrestling move goal celebration mocking the entire thing yeah, sounders I fans even, are, i haven't heard of that oh yeah. gosh uh sounders fans are still angry but they think ours was worse in in some ways and i i can't say that tell me tell me about uh how you reacted to what i see as not only a clear red card but it should be like multi multi games like five six game suspension just because you don't injure someone doesn't mean that it didn't have the potential. And I, we've seen what happens when, because Steve Zakawani, who was one of the Sounders best players and was going to become an American citizen and be on the U S national team, had his leg broken in half at, at Colorado. And it basically derailed his entire career. So thankfully that's not what happened here, but what were you feeling and thinking when their guy went in studs up and scissored, the player's leg right out from under him. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it was Reynoso that he attacked Obviously. in the game. Obviously, because that's the only person they ever target. It's it's frustrating. Re- Reynoso's not a big guy. He's by far our most important player. He's by far our best player on the team. He's by far our most valuable player. I mean, every, every, every box you could check, that is Reynoso for us and what he means to Minnesota United. He also is, I I don't have the stats in front of me, but he's our most followed player. People are chipping at him all the time and he gets hurt a lot because of it. Teams have kind of figured out that if you target Reynoso, if you frustrate Reynoso, you frustrate Minnesota United. And as a result, I mean, there have been a couple of times when Reynoso has been just unavailable for Minnesota United. Because he's just getting beat up constantly. 
And to see like at the, at the end of a game, just for no reason, someone is that violent towards him. It, it just, it's so senseless. It's just so senseless. There was nothing strategic about it. There was, there was no competition for the ball or, or, or anything that can justify what the SKC guy did. And then the fact that like VAR exists for a reason, VAR exists for a reason. We, we were talking earlier about the couple of penalty kicks that were awarded against Minnesota United, where VAR could have turned them over, but didn't, where we're just like, well, who, who's watching this? Is, is no one monitoring VAR? No, they have a, they have a, a ref that that's their only job. And, and, and VAR checked it and said it was just a yellow. And that, that's the part that doesn't make sense to me. And I, I know that, I know that Thief Pro has their, you know, they explain the calls and the rationale behind calls in the week that follows. They, they'll explain the most controversial calls and the reasoning for them. But they never go, they never go and explain the ones that they got wrong. Right, our our previous game against Vancouver, not not the one that we lost on Wednesday, but the one we drew two two when they were still playing at Salt Lake City. That late penalty that was awarded against Ethan Finlay for no apparent reason, they they never addressed that one. They never addressed that one, and I I don't know. I I haven't checked to see if the pro refs are addressing why they didn't call a red on that very dangerous play and never seemed to right right like i didn't look for it because i didn't assume that they would cover it so that that's why it frustrates me the most now i know just a few minutes earlier because things were getting very chippy things were getting very emotional just a few minutes earlier there was a possible red that could have been called on franco but when you when you watch when you watch the play, I mean Franco probably wasn't playing very smart. He was definitely playing very emotional. Franco was mad about something. I don't really know what it was. But one one of the SKC players must have said something to Franco that got him going because he was hot. Yeah, it was also the uh, Aussie Alonso yellow that got him a bit hot as well. Because yeah. Aussie Alonso basically barely touched the guy who went to the ground clutching his other ankle. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Ozzy, Ozzy's not is always going to have that call against him because he has a history of going in hard and and causing those fouls and is kind of in some ways um, the same way Diego Chara does for Portland is known for those hard tackles. So uh, not to the extent of Chara because he just got his hundredth card in the MLS and for some reason Portland Timbers were celebrating this <laughs> and putting it on Twitter, but. Uh, you know, I think Ozzy's always, it's one of those things where he's no longer given the benefit of the doubt because he's spent his entire career going in hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like the the crazy part for me was like how that's a yellow, but then also what, uh, is it Dia? Yeah. What Dia did to Ray is also a yellow. Right. And I wonder. Well, I, I really think that the Franco play was more kind of, I, I really think that the Dia play was more being compared to Franco's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, when you when you watch what happened with Franco in slow motion, yes, Franco was playing hot. Yes, Franco wasn't making the best decisions, but Franco didn't connect. Maybe he meant to, I don't know, but he didn't connect the way that Dia did on Reynoso. And they they did review 
right? The same way that someone uh, with the screens was reviewing what happened to Reynoso, the same way they were reviewing what Franco did. Well, they decide both were just yellows, not to escalate either of those to a red. I'm wondering if they're like, okay, well, Franco kind of got away with one earlier. We'll let Dia get away with one now. But it wasn't the same. No. And you asked uh, while you were talking, I uh, I went and did some stat finding, went and hunted for some stats. So we have had 369 fouls committed on us. And Reynoso makes up 89 of those 369, which is about 25%. So 25% of all the fouls committed against us are against Reynoso. So he's at 89. The next highest is Hassani Dodson, who is on 38. Wow. So Reynoso has had 51 more fouls committed on him than the next closest person in our team. And here's a, it's, it's, yeah, that's crazy. It was a red. It's it's a red. It has to be a red. It's a red, and and it bothers me that they don't that VAR isn't doing their job. That you know, with VAR, uh, both when Christian Roldan got body slammed, and then when Reynoso Reynoso got scissor kicked his leg. I mean, his leg could have snapped in half. Oh, I really thought it did. Yeah, the way like, it looked. And what? <sighs> People are so angry at VAR because they say, well, it's not doing anything. We should get rid of it. And I never understood that. I'm always about reforming institutions, not scrapping them when they are a good thing. Because the idea of the replay is good in this instance. But they need to take it out of the hands of A, the center ref, and B, someone who's on that crew. Because they're going to have mutual respect for one another. And a ref, well, we've seen things go to, to VAR that don't get overturned. Because a ref has too much ego and won't overturn a call that they made on the field. And so I think they kind of need to do what Major League Baseball does, which is, and I think NBA does something similar at times, is you have back in, in New York, yeah, New both York those, yeah. they, they actually have the league make the call. So it has, it shouldn't be up to a ref whether or not to overturn himself. Just, it should just be overturned if it's the wrong call. And, and and I don't know how you go about doing that. Maybe there's probably issues around the collective bargaining agreement that the refs have with the league and stuff like that. But uh, I'm afraid I don't. Did you all see the video of what happened at Gremio this this week, where uh, the fans stormed the field and tore apart the VAR set? Yes, yes, I did see that. Yeah, I actually commented something about uh, when uh, when is it going to be. Uh, Orlando fans doing that <laughs> after their, but, uh, but honestly, if you, if it loses legitimacy, that's when you start seeing fans acting fools like that. And, and you know, the U S we don't have that same culture of, of, um, you know, people sit in their own seats here. Like when I went to Matt, when I was living in Paris and go to match, you never sat in your own seat. You'd sit in your section near your seat, but you could never go get an usher and be like, um, someone's in my seat. So, uh, and maybe that's changed as more money's gotten involved in the sport. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing stuff like that, if the refs continue to be this bad. I feel, I feel like it really hurts the legitimacy of our league. Yeah, and I mean, there was a big complaint for VAR in the UK for a while. And I mean, I think it does help the game, but it's got to... I agree. Like, if they said... There aren't that many MLS games on at the same time. 
It's not like we have, you know, 50 games playing at once. I agree. I think a central, a central uh, kind of place for them to be reviewed because it's unbelievable that that's not a red. Like you literally watch his leg almost snap backwards under him. And then he gets subbed and then he gets subbed off like two minutes later anyway. And, and again, I mean, with all, with all leagues around the world, no matter how established they are, this is true, but it's especially true with the MLS that is trying to grow. Yeah. You want fans to be invested. And I said this after that Vancouver game, that two, two Vancouver draw where Ethan Finlay was called for a penalty and Vancouver was able to equalize deep into stoppage time. You want fans to be invested. You want fans to care. Well, why are we caring when you have the technology to do something and you just don't use it? Yeah. What, why, why would we care? And, and I get that this game, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming since we haven't heard anything, I'm assuming that Reynoso is fine. Maybe he's not. Maybe we'll find out later this week that he's not fine. But I'm assuming at this point that Reynoso is fine and we avoided this being an ongoing issue. But that, that Vancouver game, we essentially had two points taken from us. Vancouver had two points given to them. And now we are neck and neck gunning for the same playoff spots, the same limited playoff spots. That very much could have implications. We could be fourth right now, by the way. And they would be eighth. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. This is something I've been pondering, and I'd like to know what you both think, is in in both the match against Seattle and the match against uh, um, you all, um, do you think that if those plays that should have been red cards had happened earlier in the season and not during a playoff race, that it could it might have been approached differently do you think if it's early in the season and you're not coming down you don't want to miss the key players for the final games and i don't i'm not saying that necessarily that's a mandate but it sure seems like the league is mandating it we we can put that in the conspiracy theory files do you think if it was the first couple weeks of the season that yeah of course that's a red card and they would they wouldn't even think twice about it i don't know i don't typically go that route let me rephrase that. I don't typically go that route on air or, or on. Or <laughs> That's not the I, public, I've thought the those things. Show. I've thought those things and don't go too in depth in depth with those. Our friends at the dummy run will talk that way a lot about. It seems like refs will call a call different earlier in the game compared to later in the game. Like no one wants to send anyone off earlier in the game because they don't want to create a, 11 verse 10 situation that TV audiences have to watch for the majority of a game. They want games to be as entertaining as possible. And for that reason, they won't send someone off in the early moments of a game. I mean, our games get less entertaining when they send someone off against us. So (laughs) well, from the neutral perspective, (laughs) I think that last Colorado loss became pretty entertaining from a neutral (laughs) perspective or, or of course from a Colorado perspective, but. So I, I don't know. I, I don't go that route, but I, I know that people do. I know that people do. So I guess what I'm saying, Cam, is you're not alone in that thinking. Yeah. Do, do soccer refs have things that they put into consideration on when a foul takes place and if they're going to call it or not? I, 
It could be. I'm not saying they're necessarily doing it on purpose. It could be subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's the 86th minute. Like, I don't understand. I just don't, I just don't get it, guys. I don't, I don't because what's the point of coming it back to like you said? What if it's like the thirtieth minute and he does that, and then they come back to it, you know, during the week and they're like, "Oh, actually, we looked at it. We're going to give him a two-game suspension." Yeah, great. You give him a two-game suspension, but that's sixty minutes that we could have played upper man that we had a chance if we didn't win the game to have drawn or won the game. Because yeah. telling us afterwards that he gets a suspension is completely useless to us. Yeah, same. I mean, think about it. If 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 the goalie is suddenly gone in that Seattle game against SKC, and you, and the backup has to come in, and and Seattle was peppering the shots on goal, Seattle wins that game. I, I have no doubt. And then we've already locked down the number one seed. So. Uh, it, it and but we didn't do it anyways. I mean, I'm not going to say we we didn't win because of that that we lost because of that. No, I mean the defense had holes in it and we're walking around at the end and gave up the game winning goal. So I just I don't know. There's something in me, and maybe it's because I'm teaching a law and society course at UW Tacoma right now that <laughs> talks about all the different ways that we're influenced, not just uh, real laws, but from our family, from culture, from you know, if you go to church or church or your mosque or something like that, I just wonder if there's something in the ref's mind where they think, you know, do we really want to give a red card here and affect the playoff standings and affect what's happening moving forward for the next few games, whether that's conscious or subconscious? I, I just feel like that might play into it a little bit. But that's as far as I'm going to go with the conspiracy. I won't say that there's actual that the league has wanted SKC to be at the top because they're tired of Seattle, which, you know, is possible. But I won't say that. What, what, do you, what do you mean? It's clearly a conspiracy because Sporting Kansas City are now playing Austin and Real Salt Lake. Right. And, and their final two games. They want a new stadium. Here's the thing is we can push this further. They want a new stadium in downtown Kansas City as opposed to out there. Uh, maybe this is about making them, you know, are they more likely to get the stadium if they're good? Yeah. We can go back to what I dealt with with the 95 Mariners where we, we only saved the team from moving to Tampa because they made the playoffs for the first time ever. So, you know, maybe this is a whole thing from the league to make sure SKC wins the champion. We know the West is going to win the championship, whoever it is, because the East are garbage. You know, New England played terrible teams over and over again, and that's the only reason they're Supporter Shield champions. All I think all, all seven, probably six, we'll say through number six, through Minnesota, could beat any team on the East if full... Uh, with full We're five. Thank you very much. I know. Oh, okay, sorry. Moved up to five. Yeah. Jeez. Come and on, hopefully we stay five because LA Galaxy will play Seattle tonight. Your team, yep. Cam. I'll be there. Help us so out. When Minnesota defeated SKC, I just texted Cam saying, You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Return now the favor. Return please. the favor. <laughs> yep. Yep, and I, you know, Seattle's been poor form at home lately, but Jordan Morris is coming back tonight. Ooh, I, I doubt okay. he starts, but I imagine he'll get some minutes. Uh, Raul Ruiz is back tonight. Uh, Nico Ladero is back tonight, so it's it'll be the first time. And I don't really consider Jordan Morris being full squad because he's been out the whole season. So full squad, first time it's been a full squad team in in quite some time. And then you're adding Jordan Morris on top of that. What a, what an embarrassment of riches. So 
Uh, most importantly, before the game, they always have a, a person with a scarf go to a mic and say, Scarves up, Seattle. And it's usually Sue Bird or Bobby Wagner from the Seahawks. Oh, yeah. Some famous person. Macklemore. Macklemore. Yeah. You know, people <laughs> like that. You know, we, we they have all sorts of historical people in sport and soccer do it. Uh, and tonight is me. I'm doing it, uh, it because it's Fan nice. Appreciation Day and I'm president of the fan government, the Alliance Council. So I'm going to be there. So, so me and uh, Sue Bird and Bobby Wagner, we're all the same. Yeah. Um, and so nice. I think my spirit, my when I hold up that scarf and say, do it for the loons, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. And uh, and we're going to go out there and win tonight and and help you all out. Five dollars if you do. I would, they would never allow me back in that stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Well, seeing as you're talking about the Seattle game, let's uh, finish off what we have. We only have one game left this season. We are currently fifth place with 48 points and we have decision day away at LA galaxy Sunday, November the 7th, 5 PM. We still have a chance of a home playoff game uh, because Portland are only one point ahead of us. So, uh, yeah, we, we, they do have a game in hand, so we're going to be needing some help, but, uh, we are in a slightly good spot to, uh, to, to kind of, yeah, make some playoffs. We just got to go and uh, beat LA galaxy on the road. Let's do it. You can do it. All right. And we, we need your help. (laughs) Seattle. We we, we don't need their help. If we just do our job, we'll be good. It'll be even better if we help out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If we do our job at LA, we're fine. But that doesn't mean that we don't want the Sounders to do some work against LA Galaxy tonight in Vancouver on Decision Day. Guys, that is all we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And as I said earlier, thank you for your listenership. Thank you for your friendship. For the three of us, myself, Justin, James, as well as all of our friends that come on and off, Cameron, Nate, Doomsday Jeremy. You know, I'll I'll speak for the guys from other Minnesota United podcasts that have come on over the past 74 episodes. Just thank you for your listenership. Thank you for your friendship. It means more than you realize in good times and in bad. Uh, Justin, buddy, we hope you're back soon. Everyone else. Peace out and pot on you loons. Peace out, pot on you loons. Pot on you loons. Peace. See ya.